What's Underneath is a CastBox original produced in partnership with Studio 71. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all of your favorite podcasts. You can listen to What's Underneath wherever you get your podcasts, but we hope you'll give CastBox a shot and see for yourself. Hello and welcome to What's Underneath, the podcast that will inspire radical self-acceptance through empowering you to embrace what's unrepeatable in you. I'm Lily Mandelbaum, and sitting next to me is my mom, Elisa Goodkind. And we are Style Like You. In our new podcast, we are going to expand the types of intimate, unfiltered conversations we've been having in our viral video series, The What's Underneath Project. Each week, we will interview diverse nonconformists about their relationship to style, self-image, and identity. Being radically honest without shame and holding that honesty with compassion is self-acceptance. We are super excited to be here today with Lola Kirk. She is the youngest of three sisters, the other two of whom we have dug really deep with already, uh, Jemima and Domino. And we are, we're really fascinated with how unapologetic they are and how true to themselves they are and how real they are and how honest they are. And can't wait to hear more from Lola because she herself has been really gangster in many ways in terms of (laughs) things like not shaving her armpits and wearing, you know, when she went to the Golden Globes and um, receiving death threats and just being, you know, super, super herself and unapologetic and and in, in that way, being a true activist and, and truly someone who cares about the world being a more accepting and, and a more beautiful place. And she does that also in her art, you know, the, the, her films and, and, and in her music, all of it is very conscious and um, something to really um, appreciate in this world. We're really just thrilled to have her here and to be able to dig deep into what's behind and what's underneath this person who is so radical and so and so truthful and so beautiful for those reasons. So thank you for being here. Thank you. That's the best introduction ever. (laughs) Now I feel like a fraud. (laughs) Um, So Lola, how are you feeling right now? I'm feeling overwhelmed, but honestly, there was some like magical fairy presence about walking into this house. Um, (laughs) It smells really good in here for everybody who's not in this house. (laughs) And um, there's a really amazing energy that I just wasn't really expecting to find in my very busy day. So that's sweet. So what are you feeling? Wait, wait, why weren't you expecting? Because I'm I'm like right now just in the thick of... um, album promotion and it's really exciting and I'm uh I I you know it's a problem of abundance but it's also just like a lot of work um so I was kind of just like on a go uh, in a go mentality and and this is a really nice respite from that hey that's nice thank you and everyone hugged me when I walked in by the way (laughs) everybody who wasn't there for that too (laughs) Um, and so when you said earlier that you're feeling a little overwhelmed, it's just about what you were saying, like the, just all the stuff that you have to do this week leading yeah. up to the album. Yeah, and really. it's cool because I like, I, I've recently come into the awareness that like everything that I am, am busy with right now is something that I really want to do. Mm-hmm. So, and I love being busy. It's kind of my like, uh my mode of being like I don't like to stop mm-hmm. and so I'm very grateful to be busy but then there's like that that emotional like uh questioning that comes in like there's so much doubt that comes along with all the things that I have to do and um I don't know I think that um that's what makes it interesting like I was thinking recently about like 
um, all the problems in my life. <laughs> I was like, but ultimately, like if they weren't there, that would be so boring. Like I love solving problems. So this week feels like a big, beautiful problem I have to solve. Mm-hmm. Why? What? What are some of the things that you have doubts about? Um, well, I think the thing I've always had doubt about is like my own self worth, um, and I've been. I've also been able to find a lot of gratitude for that doubt because I think that my like low self-esteem has kept has made me into a really productive person like constantly having to prove that I am valuable Mm -hmm. (laughs) um has been like a major source of inspiration for me um and I'm I'm so curious like if I would be as prolific without that like creeping sense of self-doubt at all times Mm-hmm. When you talk, when you say that you feel like you have low self-esteem or low self-worth, like how does that manifest and what do you, what do you, can you describe a little bit more about like what that feels like? I don't, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I've had it forever. I mean, there's a like wheat paste that's around my neighborhood right now that says like in a culture that profits from your low self-esteem, liking yourself is a radical act. And I do think that there is a like systemic way in which we are all taught that we are not good enough and that like this world goes around on the dollars that we spend Mm -hmm. trying to make ourselves feel better so I think that there is this like systemic overlay to that but Mm -hmm. I also think that that um really did creep into my life as a woman like growing up in a female body um that 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 comes into play and then also growing up in a family that is mostly women so yeah I mean I think that those things really informed my my sense that like I had to add something else in Mm -hmm. order to be to be better and I would love for it to go away that that feeling of Mm -hmm. of fraudulence but at the same time like I do understand it as an asset in a way Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm and so do you feel, was there, when you say that, like, growing up with a lot of women, was there a lot of, like, comparison, or was that? Totally. I think that there was a ton of comparison, and there was, like, a ton of um, the, like, <laughs> it, it's 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 so interesting, because I think that so much of it is in service of the male gaze. And in my house, like, my dad was... Um, not as present as my mom because he had a job that took him away a lot. Um, and I think that there was this like, but I, I, I think that he was part of this like bigger idea of like the male gaze that we were all trying to affirm. And like there was so much posturing to be loved in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I don't think that um, like every person grew up in the same kind of household that I did. I mean, I think that there was a lot of stuff that was very unique about our house, but I think that also, like, we often equate love in this world with romantic love. And I think that there was a lot of, like, that sense in our in our home that, like, if we were good enough, we would receive this romantic love, like, eventually in our lives from other men. I mean, there was a lot of, like, just, like, living for men in, in my house, which was which was very much, like, filled with women. And I think that that's why now in my life I, I, I like to refute that. And I find myself 
to be much more comfortable around women. I mean, I know like how to be around men. Um, and I recently, so I, I, I did this movie with my sister two years ago or a year and a half ago. And we were like not having a great experience when we were making the film. And there the was two like, of you were not having a great experience. Yeah. We were just like, it was not like the, the like amazing, like, sister like duo that I had kind of imagined it to be it's really hard to work with your family it's really hard to work with anybody you have a personal relationship with and in this scene um that we were shooting I had to yell at her and I ended up like bursting a blood vessel on my vocal cord because I was like letting all of my rage come out in this like creative way that was really actually unsafe and um so that led me into like a year and a half of seeing ENTs and like trying all of these different methods of like fixing this problem and like anything I could do to avoid surgery. And it made me be really, really mindful about how I use my voice. Um, Mm -hmm. And the other night I was at a party and I was sitting at a table with a bunch of friends of mine who were male and I was like telling so many amazing jokes and I found myself like being, <laughs> I was like on fire in my own mind. And I like took a second <laughs> to like take stock of what was going on. And I was like, oh my God, I feel this burden to be entertaining because like I want to prove to the men at this table that like I have a place at this table. Like I don't, I don't automatically believe that like I belong like as an equal at a place Mm -hmm. at a table with men Mm -hmm. like I had to kind of like be the funniest person there and I think that that was really like illuminating to me because that's I think like how I have behaved a lot around men growing up like Mm -hmm. as the youngest in my family and I think this is quite common for youngest children I heard in some like TED talk about like birth (laughs) order that like the youngest will often be charming and disarming and Mm -hmm. I totally relate to that it's like a survival skill but I found myself like with men um having to like make them laugh because I, I because it wasn't that interesting to me or it was already like taken like my sisters were already like the beautiful ones so mm-hmm. like I was going to be the funny one and that would, ha- would be how I received attention mm-hmm. um and 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 mm-hmm. like would receive love essentially mm-hmm. and so I found myself at this table like last week like using like pushing my voice extra hard trying to be heard trying to be funny and then being like oh my god this is like so fucked Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) or just interesting at least I can really I really can relate to that because I I know that I still struggle um with my voice in that way where I you know like I can even feel it coming up inside of me something that's not really present now but something that's old when I feel in any way I don't know not seen or Mm -hmm. something and then I and I feel myself having to overstate things and to the point of exhaustion or I, I can understand that, like, that even that breaking a blood vessel. To, oh, totally. Like, like, you know, that feeling that you carry of just feeling like you have to overstate or you have to try so hard. And then how it's not helping you and it's not serving you. And it's just it, people aren't even hearing you better that way. It's just, totally. I mean, when I've worked with vocal coaches, actually, like... One one teacher I have, this guy John Stancato, who's incredible, would, will have me tell a story. Like he'll be like, "How's your day?" and I'll start like talking to him, and then he'll be like, "All right, now I want you to do that with like five percent of the energy that you just did." And he'll be like, "I," and he'll always say that he hears me so much better, like when I project less. Mm. And it's so funny because I know mm. a lot of people that 
like talk like this and I listen to them I hang on every word but for whatever reason I think that to hear I can't do that like I have to talk so much harder Mm. gotta talk hard Mm. (laughs) it it goes back to the doubt thing you know it goes back to really just trusting totally your voice um it's it's the the doubt that makes you feel like you have to scream (laughs) you know or like the fear and also like the identity identity like i yeah being attached to who you think people like yeah exactly like well people even know who i am if i speak differently and like ever since i was a little kid i had like a raspy voice and people would always comment on on that voice i don't know i think there's something really cute about kids that sound like they've been smoking for a hundred years and like that was how Mm -hmm. i sounded and i think that like you lean into it i was uh babysitting this kid recently and she has a really raspy voice and i met her mom and her mom has like the raspiest voice i've ever heard and i was like oh my god is this kid like completely imitating her mom like it's Mm -hmm. so funny from an early age even like without doing it consciously we adapt to identities that we think like will make us be loved or seen and like Mm -hmm. i think that she loves her mom so much so she was like oh like, if I talk like her, then people will love me or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I only hung out with this kid for, like, an hour. Why <laughs> Why was it so hard? Why was the doing the film with your sister, why was it so hard for you? Um, I think it just, like, brought up a lot of dynamics that had always been present about, about being seen. And a, and a lot of ideals. I mean, I think that with families, like there's a lot of grief sometimes around the family that we have and the family that we wished we had. And, um, I, I think in that experience, like I had wanted like to be like the Olsen twins or something like, here we are (laughs) like the, the duo, the dynamic duo. And in reality it was like, no, (laughs) here we are. Like we, Jemima and Lola were two really complicated people with two very different ways of working. And so, it was just a reality that was that I was not expecting, but also like knew would happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Something, <laughs> something good I'm sure came out of it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, she's like fantastic in the movie and that's the funny thing about making movies is it's just like what you see often is not the thing that was happening. Like when you were shooting it mm-hmm. and, and the same thing with recording music often, like it doesn't matter what the experience was. It's like what the product is, but the experience will inform the product. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. There's an amazing disconnect between those two things often. Can you talk a little bit about your journey with music and uh, how it's been to like be coming out with an album after having been like known more as being an actress and what yeah, that's like totally. for you inside? <laughs> um, my first experience with being an actress who's now doing music has been like that oftentimes I would play. Well, I didn't have an Instagram. <laughs> this, is the, where, this is not the beginning of the story, but it was very funny to be. I didn't have an Instagram because I really didn't like the energy it was bringing into my life. Like, to what speak energy? Of yeah, let's hear. Comparing and despairing. Mm-hmm. Like, that is just a tool. You oftentimes. didn't have one till, till when? Till I started, like, till my, after my first tour as a musician. Mm-hmm. And I, I had deleted it. Like, I'd had a private one after college. And, and then I was like, this is bad. I hate this thing. <laughs> and um, I got rid of it. And I never thought about Instagram when I didn't have one. To everybody listening, it's possible <laughs> to not think about this thing. It's also the biggest, one of the biggest topics of conversation. It comes up in every, every single podcast. podcast well, I mean, it's, it says a lot that the person who invented the like feature on Instagram does not have an Instagram. Like he knows what poison he unleashed into this mm-hmm. world. And like, mm-hmm. I 
I didn't have one for a couple years. And then... Well, I want to hear about life. Like, not yet. Keep it was going. great. Life without Instagram was totally amazing and fine. And um, <laughs> anyway, I did my first tour, and it was a really DIY tour. I mean, we were playing, like, storage lockers in Santa Fe, New Mexico to, like, three people. And my friend Lila Larson, who <laughs> plays guitar with me, kept on being like, you need to get an Instagram because... Otherwise, like, no one will know. <laughs> and, this, and I was like, no, I can't do it. And then we finished our first tour, and I was like, fine, I'll get an Instagram. Um, and, and it's, an, you know, you cannot be a musician now without an Instagram, yeah. unfortunately. Unless, like, your prerogative as a musician is not to reach a, a wider amount of people. So, so you got an Instagram. So I got an Instagram, and now I'm like, why the hell was I talking about Instagram? Um, but... Um, because for music, for your oh, purpose of your music. Oh, well, it was just really amazing because like my first, so much, I think a lot of people followed me on Instagram um, for two reasons. And one was that uh, actually not that many people followed me until I posted this video of myself getting ready for the Golden Globes. And this was actually an, ama- an amazing phenomenon to behold. Mm-hmm. It was this video of me dancing in, in chicken cutlets, those things which uh, you put underneath a dress to like, oh. make your boobs look bigger. And they are horrible. Like, first of all, the name, I think. I know. Really Wait, says they're it called all. chicken cutlets? They're, called, they're well, like these rubber in, like, the That's industry. the joke they're, name? Yeah. What, are, also, what are they exactly? They're like rubber? They're like pads. They're like gel Oh, I know those things. Your right, right, right. And when but you also, take them are off, they partially to like not if you're dressed like falls you, out or something? Yeah, well, they give you a, a lift, but they make you like fit into certain dresses. <laughs> right. And I was wearing this this dress that I guess required them, or actually no, I don't know if I wore them in the end because honestly, if you take off the chicken cutlet, and this is something that all women should know and all men should know, it the smell is horrendous because <laughs> you sweat so much in them and they're made out of this like horrible latex and you wear them for hours on end. So anyway, I was wearing these chicken cutlets and I was wearing a nude thong and I was getting ready for the Golden Globes and I was dancing to that song, You're So Vain, the Carly mm-hmm. Simon song. And we made this like 30 second video of me doing that. And we put it on Instagram and like I watched in real time, myself get like 20,000 followers and people be like, you're disgusting. I fucking hate you <laughs> to people being like, oh my God. And it was also because I have hairy armpits, which is the thing that I like didn't, it was like, you know, me like dancing with my arms up to the song and people I think couldn't tell if they should be like, you know, turned on or <laughs> disgusted. Mm-hmm. So it was like, and, and for whatever reason, the video went viral and it was really <laughs> scary actually, because I was like in the back of this, um, like fancy black car on my way to the Golden Globes and when you go to the when you go to an award ceremony in one of those dresses you have to recline in the back so you don't wrinkle your dress <laughs> so I was like lying across the back seat of this car like refreshing my phone and watching like you, you know t- 10 more thousand followers appear and you know a 400 comments that were so totally polarized about like my appeal and um I'm like sitting at this award ceremony the whole time, just like being terrified that I've like ruined my career or have I like made my career? Like, this is so <laughs> ridiculous. I've been working for like long so enough hard. now that this, that, that like this just feels like insulting that this is what all it takes. Um, but anyway, that to be yourself, just no, like, no, but all it takes no, is like a attention. joke that, that it's something so silly as like she posted a silly. No, but video. what I mean also is that you are just being yourself and like, right. and, and, and and the critic the criticism 
Or the objectification. The judgment of that. Or objectification. Yeah. 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 Totally. But it was like, it was like, I think that so much of my work toes this line, like, or I want it to toe this line between, like, I'm objectifying myself and, like, also pulling off the veil of, like, what it what it is like to be objectified. Like I remember in college where I studied experimental video, which is a ridiculous thing to spend four years doing and no (laughs) offense to like any of the amazing video artists that are out there. I am not one of them, but I made this like amazing video and I say amazing because it's ridiculous, not because it was like a work of art, but like one of the first things I made was this video of me. It was a close up of my rolls, like my stomach rolls for anyone out there who doesn't know what rolls are. And it was like me bending over and I was wearing a sports bra and the song uh, Take My Breath Away by Berlin was playing and I was just brushing my teeth and letting all of the toothpaste spill all over my stomach. <laughs> and like that <laughs> is a disgusting video, but it was also like the first time that I was like, Oh my God, this is, I get to represent myself. I mean, this is even before the iPhone. This is like a flip camera, Mm -hmm. which was like, I think the original tool for easy filmmaking. I always think about that video though, because I'm like, it wasn't that great, but like, I still want to make work like that, 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 um, like represents a woman's body in a different way, like representing what's sexy in a different way and representing Mm -hmm. like what's disgusting in a different way and, and seeing how those things align but anyway i'm like rambling no this like is this not is a therapy rambling. session or That's something what this is. They, usually, they are therapy sessions <laughs> good um our but, interviews are therapy sessions I, I i got that sense um but yeah so so i i got then i like inst- people on instagram started following me because of this video but also mostly because they liked um Mozart in the jungle and so people would come to my concerts and I would like sing my heart out and then afterwards they'd come up to me and be like where was the oboe which was the interview the the, the instrument that I played on that show and it was like oh this is this is gonna be weird to be like perceived in this one way when I was trying to be uh, mm-hmm. received in this other way and um, I don't know like I, I think that my journey as a musician um I'm so grateful that like this other art form that I that I really love so much gets to like elevate it Mm -hmm. but it can also be frustrating when when people are expecting you to be one way what do you feel you're able to express in your music um and what what are the messages that you're communicating and why is this form like so meaningful to you as opposed to acting? And like what what you know, what are what are some of the things that you can express that maybe you can't express acting? I, I felt really confident as an actor. Like I, I I had started acting when I was like ten and I'd always gotten a lot of positive attention for it, like from my family and in school and all that stuff, and it became really kind of a big part of my identity. And um in my family especially, like we were this bohemian family and everybody had this different artistic role that they played. Um, and I think that got really jumbled really quickly. And, and, um, and that's good that that got jumbled because other, you know, we don't want to be, I think that it was very limiting for like Jemima was the painter and I was the actress and Domino was the singer. And my brother Greg was the photographer. And it's like, you know, that's, that's a little too neat and art is very messy, but, but regardless being a musician was something that always seemed really far out of reach for me. Um, something I think about a lot is how growing up in this world of what we now know as classic rock, um, women historically have a very uh, like 
kind of specific mm -hmm. place or specific places mm -hmm. in, in that world. And I think that that is that they are like the wife or they are the groupie. And like there are very few women mm -hmm. that are like rock and rollers in the sense that we think of men as being. And those women are iconic, uh, of course, now. But um, I, I feel really grateful to be coming into music in an age where, where that's really changing. And I see so many incredible, um, you know, non-male artists uh, taking the four. But anyway, um, music just seemed very male to me. And even though I had a lot of opportunities to learn how to play instruments, I felt discouraged by it. And so... I started playing music like as a hobby when I was uh, 18 and then I there was like a blackout in the small town that I was living in when I, where I went to college Bard, yeah. and and yeah I went to Bard and um, and the band that was like meant to play at the bar didn't show up and then I was there and I had just learned how to play Angel from Montgomery the the Bonnie Raitt song on guitar and I was like oh, I'll play and I must have been drunk or something because I don't know where that courage came from but I did and then like all of these women came out of the woodwork almost like magically and we started this like all-girl country band that we started playing with and 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 playing music with with other women um has just been such a special experience in, in my life um, and has been a really amazing way to take back this space that that was always just so staunchly male. And and I think like, and, and that's not to say that it's, it, you know, that those men didn't have amazing contributions to rock and roll. Like some of my favorite bands are all men. Um, but it's time for that to It's change. so funny that you should bring this up because again, like we just find so often in these conversations that, this topic has been such a hot topic because I am a humongous fan of U2 and like a crazy fanatic U2 fan, <laughs> my husband and myself. And because I just, you know, grew up in the time that I grew up in being an, being very idealistic and believing in like utopia and not having like the grip on the issues that like you guys have a grip on. I mean, of course, from what I'm doing, I've learned like, you know, like all that's come crumbling down and I'm much more aware of these more specific issues and that everything's not just this ideal utopia that we 70s people thought, you know, that we could do just by being loving. Um, and so I, you know, I was so influenced by them in particular, you know, their, their anthems and their songs of unity and the song one and like, you know, carrying each other and the words to that song. And it has so much to do with, with style like you and how I feel about what we're doing, being the space for people to support different voices and all different voices in one place. Yeah. Um, it has such an influence on me. And yet they are these privileged white men, you know, and then the various other, I don't know, issues around that. And it was just it's we were just talking about yeah. it. And um, and it was kind of like a bubble bursting a little bit. And I know. I mean, I, I think that that kind of privilege is so um, it's it's confusing in a lot of ways because I don't want to, like, lessen the contributions of a lot right. of privileged white men like I think there it is possible for them to be like valuable voices in our culture, but it is also right. like I think that there's a lot of even within the those beautiful contributions, there's probably a lot of unchecked um, privilege, right. and like it is still time for that to to open up. It is. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe. And give us a good rating so the powers that be can keep this podcast going. Um, what do you feel is like the biggest risk you've taken in your life? 
something that I like really um, have always struggled with is this feeling that I don't take enough risks. Um, and I also then get this like feedback from people that know me well that's like, what are you talking about? Like the, the things, there are things that I would naturally do that that are risky to other people, but risk in like the way that I idealize it, which is like basically just me being Joni Mitchell is, and I bring her up because I think that she's one of these, these people that like, whose, whose art is this reflection of her, like living her life deeply alone. Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess like, and, 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 and I, I'm always someone who I like to be in couples. I like to be around friends. I like to like a risk for me would be like not giving myself a busy schedule would be like not feeling like I have to make mm. things all the time, mm. but a risk for other people would be like taking, putting yourself out there. Yeah, exactly. Which is something that I do quite naturally. Mm. Um, I mean, I feel like I'm taking a really big risk right now in this week with just like be- believing in myself as a mm-hmm. risk. Mm-hmm. Um, and putting the album out yeah putting the album out and like playing shows around it and and like inviting um a certain kind of attention to myself like there's it's been really interesting doing press for the record because i've done lots of press for for movies and and for the tv show and i've never really been that interested in what people have said about it because it's really you know it's about the whole like of course i want people to like it and, and be moved by it but but um the feedback is not that exciting to me. And for this record, um, like I've been reading a lot and, and maybe I should stop doing that. I mean, I'm grateful that it's been positive thus far, but like I feel very naked, frankly, with, with Mm -hmm. putting this record out. I mean, I think that it's, um, it's, and of course I didn't play every instrument at all. I had an amazing band and my partner is my producer and there's a lot of other people that, that take, that are a part of this thing, but like there's nothing to hide behind at all mm-hmm. anymore. Um, and like, if people don't like it, then that's like, that's, they're not liking like my private life <laughs> essentially, mm-hmm. which is fine. People don't have to like my private life, but music always for me was this thing that I did alone at like two o'clock in the morning. Um, and in my most, in my most alone way. So, so sharing it is, is a little scary to me. Mm-hmm. What, what about your private life and what about those very vulnerable things is in, is in the album? Um, well, Oh God, so much. <laughs> um, I, the, the, the record is about like everything from, from, um, you know, being mortified by the rise of fascism in America to um, grieving the death of loved ones and um, and to to like feeling rejected sexually. And I, 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 I I'm so grateful for all of these problems once again, because like they they are inspiring to me like if I didn't have them I don't think I would like I'm so grateful that I felt rejected sexually like I wrote an awesome song about it can <laughs> you go I'm, into more detail about that yeah I mean I think that there I, I it's something that I was experiencing in my own life like wanting to have sex when my partner didn't and I was just like oh my god I don't know any women who talk about this like all of my mm-hmm. women friends that I talk to about it are like oh yeah my boyfriend often wants to have sex but I don't and I'm like oh god that makes me feel so alone and then I wrote this song and like it was and 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 then people started saying to me like 
I, I relate to that. And that's what's been so cool about writing songs. Um, and if you had told me, like, when I was a teenager who hated herself, that, like, one day there would be this space that I would get to communicate my loneliness and people would, like, affirm it and feel less lonely as a result of it, I would have never have believed you. That was just so not in my... Um, blueprint for my own future and so it just feels really amazing to to get to use my loneliness as a way of of connecting with people and when you say that um as a teenager you just say you hated yourself oh yeah can you talk about that <laughs> it's it's such a confusing time because I think first of all I was basically stoned the entire time I started smoking pot when I was like 14 about nine times a day and I couldn't conceive of a life wherein I didn't do those types of things. And luckily, that just kind of stopped when I uh, when I was about nineteen. But I um, just stopped naturally. Or I like, did. Well, I fell in love with someone, and I was like, "Oh, right, I don't need this." It was like thing. a new drug, kind of like it was a new, It wasn't like a new drug necessarily, because I think that that was a really healthy relationship. It, it, yeah, an experience for me. Mm-hmm. But I think I just realized that like I didn't need to. I didn't need this other thing to mm-hmm. make me cool mm-hmm. or fun. And, and, and I know that love can sound, a relationship can sound like this, an, another thing, but um, it, that relationship was really healing for me in a mm-hmm. lot of ways. I felt in high school, um, like people made me like the butt of a lot of jokes and um, like I was totally bullied and- About what? Oh God, like about like being cool man (laughs) I was bullied there okay so one story that I will tell that uh, illustrates this was I saw this Julie Christie movie Darling Mm -hmm. and it was like my favorite movie of all time and I loved Julie Christie I'd never Mm -hmm. seen anyone that beautiful in my life and I loved the way she dressed and I've always done this thing I think it's a youngest child thing or maybe a Libran thing where like (laughs) if I see somebody who I think like has a perfect life like I will like borrow elements from their life and like fake it till I make it so to speak and so Julie Christie I was like oh she's perfect I recently rewatched Darling by the way and she is like the most fraught and flawed character ever her life is pretty miserable but anyway at 15 or whenever this was I I didn't see it that way and I like started dressing Maud and I knew that she had a goldfish in the film and I was like perfect a goldfish I will go and get a goldfish and then my like transformation will be complete so during school one day I had a bunch of free periods and I like walked through Brooklyn Heights to every pet shop and like looked for a goldfish none of them had goldfish then finally I found this pet shop that had a Siamese fighting fish and I was like fuck it I'll take it so I took the Siamese fighting fish and I got this like carrier tank and I wrote the name darling on the tank Uh, Because I was really cool. Again, let me just reiterate that. And drew a bunch of like flowers and hearts and stuff. And I was like walking back to school in this beautiful red dress I had that wasn't Maud at all, by the (laughs) way, but like was my 14-year-old conception of Maud. And um, this kid was like, they're waiting for you. And I was like, who's they? And he was like, I don't know. They. <laughs> I can't remember how that conversation went. But I was getting closer to school and all of like the coolest kids in school were sitting on the stoop and they were like at my school the cool kids were like the freaks, like the kids I guess that like smoked a ton of pot and were mm-hmm. like artists or whatever. And they literally charged at me and this one kid that was like 
you know, I thought like the ultimate coolest kid grabbed the tank out of my hand, reached in, scooped the fucking fish out of the tank and swallowed it whole. And I was mortified and I like didn't know what to do except to pour the dirty fish water on this kid's head. And then he took this Coke slushy, this giant Coke slushy and poured it all over me. And it was like horrendous. Like I'd never, it was so, anyway, I ended up getting, going home that day, like crying covered in this Coke slushy on the subway. This old man came up to me and was like, are you okay? And handed me a hanky, which made me cry harder. I got home, like lay on the floor covered in Coke slushy. And then the principal of my school called me and was like, you don't have to come back for the rest of the year because there was only like a week left. And I was like, okay. And I just watched the full Julie Christie catalog. So anyway. Dr. Zhivago. Oh, yeah. Shampoo. Um, (laughs) Great movies. My point is that I think a lot of kids, I suspect a lot of kids bullied me because I was, you know, maybe they thought I was obnoxious or something. And I'm sure I was, but also because I think I had a very strong sense of self. And... I went, I happened to go to these schools like Bard and this school with St. Anne's that um, really prize themselves on being progressive and forward thinking, but also we never talked about race, class, or gender, and I think that there was so much misogyny in, in those environments, and like, like especially at Bard when I went there, and now I think that this is changing in those schools, like the height of like being a forward thinking person in their 20s was like acting like you went to Black Mountain College, which was like so like that was like in the 60s and over like it was this very outdated sense of what it meant to be like, you know, a radical. And mm-hmm. um, and I think that that that's present in a lot of places like mm-hmm. Black Mountain College for anybody who doesn't know about it. It was like Willem de Kooning and Elaine de Kooning, his wife, who was like in the shadows, but like also like making work or something. So I think that there was this sense of being that you had to be subservient still, Mm -hmm. even if you were like this cool artist. And, and that was something I really wasn't interested in doing. Like I, I wanted to be like fabulous and I wasn't gonna, and I wanted to be loud. And, um, and I think that a lot of men were really threatened by me and a lot of men still are threatened by me in that way. And a lot of men aren't, and they love me and, (laughs) and that's great. But I think that, Mm-hmm. There, there was a I, I I like do attribute the the bullying that I experienced in high school to be a result of like people being and particularly boys being threatened by a big personality right what do you what do you think is your um biggest achievement I think my relationships with myself and and others like honestly are my biggest achievement can you and, give a specific well I mean I'm a I like not all the time, but I'm a happy person. And I grew up in a, like, and I'm not happy because nothing bad ever happened to me. So I don't know what it's like to be otherwise. Like, there was a lot of trauma in my life. And, like, I um, I don't want to be too specific about those things. I think that I am specific about that trauma in my, in my work um, as an actress and as a, a musician. Like, I'm constantly drawing from those things to enliven characters and to write my own songs um but like I have worked really really hard to even have a sense of liking myself and like healthy relationships were with 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 partners and and with friends were really not modeled for me like there was always a drama that was precluding any kind of harmony and like today I um I feel in you know 
even if I have those the, those uh, outstanding qualms with myself and doubts with myself, like I, I I love myself and I and I love a lot of people. So I, I I really do think that that's my biggest achievement. And and I think that those things make my work possible. And my mm-hmm. so and my work like that I'm I'm very proud of that. Even if it's even if it falls flat for others, like that's something that I feel very proud of. How did you get there? How do you do that? How do you come from trauma and come to a place of, of positivity and, and happiness, like saying that you're a happy person? Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Um, I mean, that's a big question. But that's I, such a big question. I but mean, helpful because I think people struggle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like uh, self-care is, is hugely important. And, and I think for some people that means different things than what it means for me. For me, it means like I've been in therapy since I was 10 years old and I love it. Um, and, and having like a place where I get to share and be held accountable is really important. Also, like there are other kinds of, of self-help that are just really important to me. And I think that every, and I I don't think that I should prescribe what those are for anybody, but I, but like, I I don't think that we're really uh, taught to take ourselves seriously in that way. And like a a schedule and and regimen of, of like therapy, be it group therapy or, or one-on-one therapy has been like, you know, just extremely important to me. Also, um, I've been doing transcendental meditation for five years and I love it so much um and like you know exercise and eating right but also like not doing those things is helpful to like blowing off those it's really important for me sometimes to understand that self-care can mean not participating in my rigid schedule of self-care as well Mm -hmm. um and (laughs) um and that's again I guess a very Libran thing the the balance of like um Mm -hmm not taking everything so seriously and taking things really seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and- it's also part of what you we were saying earlier about how like it's comfortable for you to be busy and like mm-hmm. on your schedule. So it's also good for you sometimes to practice maybe saying fuck it to the schedule. Totally. Yeah. And like finding good friends and, mm-hmm. and, and like having a partner who really supports me, but I don't think that I could attract those things in my life if I wasn't putting those things out there already, mm-hmm. um, like abusive relationships are terrible. <laughs> so like they will make you unhappy and unnecessarily so. And, and like I've been in them and I know the extra drama in my life of like having partners who, who wanted to control every aspect of who I was like, that is a nightmare. You know, it's already really hard to be free. So, so finding people in my life who aren't going to try and, squash you yeah that's Mm. those are ways that I've I've found to be to be happy that's such a good point I think and something maybe I just want to be really clear on that and maybe give enough on that because I think that can be such a hard thing to to you know to understand or know when that's not happening in a relationship Mm. or like when are are am I free? Am I being myself? Am I being honored? Am I being controlled? Am I getting what I need? Like, I think that is such a delicate and difficult um, line. Yeah, just line and thing to understand in a relationship. I think that there's a way in which abuse can make us feel very special because I think that it makes us feel like we are the only one. We are so important. Everything we do affects this other person in such a, in such a, um, you know, profound way. And like it, 
it's you know like i think that we are taught that love is not it it it, it should be like scary and i certainly grew up thinking that that love um meant a lot of things that that it doesn't actually mean uh or i'm, I'm discovering it to not mean I think these are things that people struggle with and that's what we try to like bring out in the open. And I think yeah. that it's very, your honesty is really appreciated and help and it's really helpful to oh, know. I hope so. And you're so young to be like getting that awareness too. Like you're very, you're very young to be so wise, I think. Oh, and thank you. Yeah. I mean, because I can even, I'm just saying for me personally, I've been married for, I don't, can't remember how long it is at this point, whether it's 32 or 33 years or whatever it is. Oh my but, God. Congratulations. Um, that's amazing. But I mean, there's, <laughs> we still struggle with these things mm -hmm. and we still are two wounded children that are um, working things out and I'm still discovering myself so much and he's discovering himself so much and like what that balance is of, of each one getting the needs met of the other one yeah. and all of those things is just it's a fascinating well but that's it's so a fascinating beautiful. dance you know i think also like that like the ability to change is is so important to a relationship mm -hmm. and uh, my acting teacher is this amazing amazing man named tony greco and he is so committed to acting like he has been an acting teacher since he was 17 years old and now he's in his 50s and um he often talks about how like in this generation we don't commit to anything. We live in this culture mm -hmm. of like the self. And and while I think it is so important to commit to yourself, um, that like we don't commit to a job, we don't commit to people, we don't commit to mm -hmm. to ideals, we're constantly changing. And I think that like that like I'm so curious about like radically committing to things. And like I I feel very committed to to the art that I make and to the people that I love in my life and and I don't know if that helps me develop my values more but I think like knowing what your values are is so amazing also for mm. like happiness because I think it, it clarifies so much it, mm. it clarifies how you live your life if you know that it is a value to you to make beautiful work or to try and make beautiful work um, mm -hmm. or to just like be a good partner to somebody. Um, and I think that it's all that like murkiness that I think can make us really, really miserable. Yeah, is it, is it kind of boundaries, right? I mean, exactly, it's, it's, boundaries. Yeah, boundaries that's, are so, that's and our one. boundaries are so fuzzy right now because of the comparativeitis and because of the looking out, we're so programmed to look outside of ourselves for mm -hmm. happiness and to think that happiness is in the bag and the dress and the shoe in the in the in the person that we don't have or the thing that we don't you know whatever it is the thing we don't have and we're on this treadmill of the thing that we don't have and the like and the pot all these things and i think that that's a beautiful message and a beautiful thing to say and i think that is something that maybe it has to come more into focus in the middle of all of this yeah like in the middle of all this freedom there's so much freedom and there's so much uh there's so much so many choices um but then i guess maybe I think values can be lost and boundaries can be lost and all of that. Well, I think that we're told to value things that are actually really not valuable at all, which is like, how good you look in your selfie. Mm -hmm. Right. <laughs> it's exactly. depressing. Um, what is like the biggest source of, or a source of shame in your life? Shame is such a funny emotion. I think that, you know, my body is a big source of shame for me. And it's something that I am trying to work out in, in, in my work. And I'm, I feel really happy to be coming up in a time where there are, you know, 
podcasts like this and different uh, consensus about like what makes someone beautiful. But my stomach has always been bigger than I would have liked it to be. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm tra- that's, I guess, like the area of my body that I feel so much shame, shame. in. And like I... When does that, does that manifest like in moments that you feel the shame? Like is it... I mean, I'm like constantly sucking in. But then, and, and I realize like I carry, I always ask to get my stomach massaged when I get a massage. And like people are always like weirded out by that request um and it's not like i'm like no it's not like a gas thing like i seriously think that my muscles and my stomach are just so clenched from years of being told to suck in and like um and i think that we all like i don't know so many women suck in and i i think that like we gotta stop but if i don't (laughs) suck in i don't even think i look that much better when i suck in so i think that it's just like in my mind that if i'm not breathing correctly that people will idealize me more and that will be that um (laughs) and also like i was wearing spanx recently for a movie that i was doing and like immediately got a stomach ache and i know the spanx thing is like the modern day girdle and i was just like oh my god this is like probably like the leading cause of intestinal issues Mm -hmm. like it is so crazy just how, like, you know, accepted it is that pain is beauty mm-hmm. uh, or beauty is pain, I guess. Um, so, yeah, my stomach has always been uh, something that I've been ashamed of. Um, but I'm trying to not do that. And then how is it acting wise um, and, and, and performing, you know, just the body well, Shame. oh my God. I, I mean, it's it, it blows my mind how few actresses I see that even look like me. And I don't think of myself as somebody that like, you know, is like even plus size. But when I'm around other actors, like everybody is 110 pounds. I don't know how they all did it. I really think I was born 150 pounds. Like, I think I was born 10 pounds, and then it just immediately added 140 pounds when I turned, like, 16, and that was it. Um, I think that's true. I think people are born to be a certain... Your weight is supposed to be your weight. Totally. It's in Lily's story. It's Mm -hmm. like, she's been out there with being 200 pounds or, you know, and losing her period when she, if she goes down to 170 or 160. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous, though, the pressure to be thin. And I've worked with actors who... Like, I mean, I had a terrible experience with an actor who, like, was making me laugh and then told me I should exercise more. Well, it was like, get her, get her while she's not, like, paying attention. And, like, that, I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's really boring, like, this, this kind of body. I mean, I think I recently saw The Bridges of Madison County, which I don't think is a very good movie, but Meryl Streep in that film is, like, she's a real woman and that's like Mm -hmm. the only like Meryl Mm -hmm. Streep is allowed to be a real woman but all you other actresses until you win 11 Oscars or get nominated 11 times like you actually have to play the game and I'm just really bored by it and I but I boring it's really boring and and um I but I but I'm also just like wait what club are you guys all a part of that that is easy for you or even doable right Mm -hmm. like I always wonder that too like how are you not passed out how are you living how are you thinking how do you memorize lines how do you yeah well I mean those are value like how are you living and how are you thinking and memorizing lines like that's those are important things but like going to the gym for four hours a day is not studying acting I would much rather take an acting but what I mean is like (laughs) if you're so underweight and so fighting against yourself like how are you even thinking straight 
Because yeah. for instance, I'm someone who like, I couldn't miss a meal or I'd fast out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I mean, if you're not listening to yourself, I don't know. And like what your body yeah. needs. You know? I mean, they all seem like totally fine though. I know. That's why I never get that. Which is what I'm that. mystified by. Me like too. that's, if that's okay for them. I was recently watching an episode of a TV show where there was like a dead woman on the show and they were like describing her. They were like, white, female, 103 pounds. And I was like, fuck no, she is not 103 pounds. Like did a male writer just like imagine that this cadaver would be this this much, uh, weigh this much? And I don't know, it is hard because like I I still like I want to be this crusader of of like seeing different kinds of bodies on screen and yet like I'll see um a, a movie I'm in and be like my eyes will immediately go to my stomach and be like fuck I should have sucked in during that take or or something like that and I can't be a pay, paying attention to that while I'm while I'm working and nor should you ever because let me just say that we were all just talking about how I don't know just how lovable and beautiful you are on film in every oh, way and like so yeah much. like I mean that doesn't, I mean, you're perfect as well, you are. thank you. you know, so. I really yeah. appreciate that. And I'll just And say, very refreshing, very refreshingly, um, you know, it's clear that you are different, you know, like just that there's a different kind of a presence in terms of your reverence for the status quo. I would, I would say that that's pretty thank you. clear as an actor. Yeah. Well, the skinniest I ever was on screen, <laughs> I was my most miserable. But when was that? That was in Gone Girl. I think I was like, my agent was like, you're going to be in a bikini the whole movie, so watch out. And I was like, first of all, it would be awesome. You (laughs) didn't say that. Well, if you never said that to me ever. (laughs) Um, But also, like, I would love to, I think that that character, you know, she's like a petty thief working out of a trailer park, like, was in a bikini and didn't have a six pack. Like, I feel like that would be so cool. Mm -hmm. And I don't have a six pack in that movie for the record. But, like... I I was going through a horrible breakup. All I did was smoke cigarettes. And I was wildly thin, thinner than I've ever been. And I was so sad. And that, But, but then I got really happy because I was really thin. And then I started gaining weight again because I started eating again. So <laughs> it's an amazing, amazing cycle. Um, just get your heart broken and, and do terrible things to your body and you'll be thin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you'll be happy and you'll start eating again and get normal and be beautiful again. So I don't know. It's so fucked. I, 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 um, I, I'm just like impatient to, to see this change. And mm-hmm. I think it's so cool that you guys are doing something like this that is advocating for that change and, and talking about like what is underneath because it's really not talked about. And mm-hmm. I think that there's so like intimacy is to me like why I want to be an artist. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, it would be, I don't care about anything unless you're telling me something that I've never heard before or showing me something eloquently that I've always felt but never been able to express. Um, mm-hmm. And you can't do that without intimacy. And like, I think that there's this amazing Lee Strasberg quote that my amazing acting teacher always will, will bring up, which is that there's cliche on the stage because there's cliche in life. And I really think that in this moment, we are encouraged to become cliches. Um, I think social media really does that. And Formula. Should, yes, exactly. Be this way. Pose in Here's this the way. Here's the shiny toy. Shiny toy. Like, 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 yeah. like, When there's any depth, anything out of the... Like, we really struggle with it because our brand is just so not a formula like in any right. way because we're just featuring all different kinds of people and then there's us and like you know and there's all there's just so many things about it that aren't the little like 
like like like like yeah. you know just just oh get it got it got it yeah shiny toy yes like right it's it's not as easy um and i think that you know that art shouldn't be easy like it, it should be it should be exactly. intimate and challenging and and make blow us your mind in that way mm. it should open and blow your mind inside out and upside down. That's the point of it. And that's what's so scary about our society because what, mm-hmm. what is this culture without true art? It, no, there, it doesn't exist. Ter- it, it doesn't exist. Like, like going back to the fashion industry and why we started this, like I, when I would see a shoe that was, would, would make me think, oh my God, I can't wear that. That's so weird. That's so, and the next minute I'm wearing it and the next minute I'm changing myself and the next minute mm-hmm. I'm this and the next minute I found a part of myself. That's all gone, you know? But like, that is what, art should be like when fashion is art that in its best sense well, it's the you know? sacred art of self-decoration because i think that you know for me growing up and looking at the world of fashion i i was always kind of um struck by the superficial nature of it but also really um compelled by fashion because i think that there is this other element of it where it is about like you know, expressing yourself and, and being creative. So, um, the sacred art of self-decoration to me is just such a, a beautiful way of like naming it because mm-hmm. I think that like, this is, this is sacred. This is our body. This is be. how we're going out there and, and communicating ourselves intimately with mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Um, what does self-acceptance mean to you? For me, self-acceptance has just been, like the daily reminder to myself that like I am enough and that like, and that's all, that's all I can do is like do my best. I can't do somebody else's best. It would be really, really weird. Um, so yeah, it's a daily reprieve though Mm -hmm. is not something I just have all the time. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is really beautiful. This has been so fun. Amazing. I wish we we could talk forever. Same here. We hope you were inspired by this episode. Until next week, that's it from me, Elisa. And me, Lily. If you agree that facades separate us and being radically honest brings us together, help spread the movement for radical self-acceptance by sharing this episode and subscribing to our podcast. You can also watch our videos by subscribing to our YouTube channel and following us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook using the handle at StyleIQ. That's the letter U instead of the word U. And check out our book, True Style is What's Underneath, The Self-Acceptance Revolution, on Amazon or at a local bookstore near you. We can't skip ahead to a happy ending or live inside a photoshopped image or an Instagram filter. There's no finding oneself when glossing over the truth. Life moves fast. It's good to take a step back and appreciate the little things in life. On Simply Complex, we dive into those professions, items, and processes we often drive past in a blur or take for granted in our daily rush. Subscribe to Simply Complex on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening most to take a deeper look into the deceptively simple things in our lives that are actually extremely complex. Hey, I'm Sapphire. Want to hear something scary? If you love getting the chills, make sure to tune in to the Something Scary Podcast. Come join me as I read the creepiest urban legends, folktales, and ghost stories from my friends, family, and listeners like you. Like stories about skinwalkers, powerful sorcerers with the ability to change their appearance into another animal so that they can kill more easily. And hearing about them draws them right to you. Oops. Subscribe to the Something Scary Podcast in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.